Under the guise of character education, there are many school systems across the land will be teaching that you can be good without God. They'll be teaching that accepting things that are contrary to the Word of God is a virtue. They'll be teaching that good religion is a religion that teaches that there is no right and wrong. They'll be teaching that tolerance means that if you are a Christian, shut up, and if you are not, speak up. That political correctness means that you must study the virtues of all other religions, but if you bring the Bible to classroom, you'll be dismissed. They will teach you that all God, any God, is good except for the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take it from me. The reason why we have an ethical crisis in the business world in America today is because 40 years ago, we have thrown God out of the schools, and today the business leaders are the product of this godless education system. Today in America, one in every student carry a weapon to school. One in two schools have metal detectors. Fifty to sixty students get killed every day in America in the schools today. Hundreds of teachers every day assaulted. Thousands of teachers are threatened with bodily harm every day. And the ACLU celebrate every time a judge orders the pulling down of the Ten Commandments from the walls of schools, lest the students read, Thou shall not be killed and obey it. You know, I was thinking this week, in Saudi Arabia they have up the religious police. And these religious policemen are addressed in a certain way. You know they are religious policemen. Not traffic policemen, they are religious policemen. And they walk with a, a cane in their hands in order to punish anybody who is not obeying the religion. In fact, I'll give you an example. If a woman is not completely covered, they administer punishment upon that person. In America today, we have religious police too of the other extreme. It is called the ACLU. Not so long ago, the ACLU notified thousands of public schools and public school officials that its members would be monitoring graduation ceremonies and that legal action would be taken against those who would allow prayer. Not so long ago, in the state of Indiana, a school withdrew their invitation to a congressman because he would not commit in writing that he would not pray. And people ask, where was God on September 11? I want to tell you exactly where God was. God was exactly where we have placed Him, banished out of our public life. And I want to tell you today that the psalmist teaches us something of uttermost importance, and I pray that you would listen very carefully. The psalmist teaches the relationship between God's protection and treasuring of God's Word in our hearts and in our lives. And it is found in Psalm 119, beginning at verse 9, all the way to verse 16. In fact, in that section, the psalmist tells us that either God's Word will keep us from sin and harm, or sin will keep us from God's Word and God's protection. This psalm, Psalm 119, is divided into 22 sections. Now you understand why. <laughs> 
22 sections, and they are numbered, each section numbered alphabetically, but instead of ABC, they are numbered in the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beta, Gamma, and etc. This is the second section, and its section would be B in English. It is Beth in Hebrew. Beth is a word that is not only a letter, the letter B, but it's also a word that means house, like Bethlehem, like Beth El. Many scholars have concluded that this section of Psalm 119 tells us the following. Listen carefully. That any protection for a person is when the Word of God finds a home in his or her heart. You can only find safety when the Word of God becomes housed in your heart and in your mind. That only peace that can be given, that peace that passes understanding, regardless of your surroundings, that you will have that peace only when God's Word finds a home in your heart. When the Word of God found a home in your life, you will be protected from the enemy of your soul. That only the Word of God can strengthen your character. That only the Word of God can strengthen your conduct. Jesus said that when you try to get rid of a demon out of your life with your own strength, you might succeed for a little time. Temporary. Because within a very short period of time, that demon is going to invite seven others, and they're going to come and dwell in your life. Be careful of self-improvement programs that are not founded upon the Word of God. In other words, character, ethic, and morality that are not rooted and established in the Word of God are only temporary. Let me illustrate this. Some of you will identify with this illustration. If you have ever gone on a crash diet and you lost some quick weight, and then once you get off that diet, what happens? You don't put just that weight back on again, then some. Hello. (laughs) And that's exactly what happens when you try to be good without God. That's exactly what would happen when you try to be moral without the power of the Word of God in your life. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 119, beginning at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me astray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I renounce all the laws come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Father, may those words that we've just uttered be the motto of our lives, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The psalmist is telling us basically two things. Number one, he said, there is incredible virtue in the Word of God, verses 9 to 12. Secondly, he says, there is incalculable value in the Word of God, verses 13 to 16. There is an incredible 
indescribable virtue in the Word of God. What is that virtue? He gives them to us actually three right there in that text. In verse 9, he says the Word of God cleanses. In verse 10, he says the Word of God controls. In verses 11 and 12, he said the Word of God corrects. It cleanses, it controls, and it corrects. How can a young man or a woman keep his or her ways pure? By obedience to the Word of God. That's the only way. The psalmist is saying that when it comes to your life character, when it comes to your life's conduct, the Word of God is stronger than borax. That the Word of God is more powerful than ammonia. That the Word of God is more cleansing than the strongest of detergent. Hear me right on this one. Because I know what the world says. The world says, have your fling while you are young. And then you become religious when you're old. The world says to us, sow your wild oats while you're young and get it out of your system and then follow God when you're old. But you know what the problem is? Here's the problem. They never take you into the shepherd's spinal hospital to show you the tragedy of drunken driving. They never take you to the clinics to show you the fruit of illicit sex. They never take you to the psychologist and the psychiatrist to show you the broken hearts and the damaged emotions and the shattered relationships and the fear of intimacy and the drug-dosed bodies. The psalmist is telling us something that the world will never understand, let alone accept. What is it? Here it is. Are you ready for it? The younger you begin to fill your heart and your mind with the Word of God, the healthier you will be. The younger you begin to make your heart a home for the Word of God, the more peaceful life will be later on. I can't begin to tell you, I can't even begin to tell you how in every person that I have encountered who is struggling with addiction or struggling with very destructive behavior or, or they are having inability to relate to others or those who have a hard time loving others. Let me tell you something. Invariably, those seeds have been planted when they were young. Bad habits begin at a very early life. Undisciplined life begins at a very early life. Virtue of the Word of God not only cleanses, but the psalmist said it also controls. It controls you. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart I sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. You know, when I was 16, 17, like most 16, 17-year-olds, I could not wait to get away from home. Now, I know that's not news for most young people, or everybody else for that matter. Man, I just couldn't wait to get away. I mean, I had seven older siblings they're all looking down at me and examining everything I do with a fine-tooth comb. I got parents who were constantly looking over my shoulder, and I wanted to get away. But why? Because I wanted to do what I wanted to do. 
It's very hard for you to imagine that uh, I wanted to be wild, right? <laughs> I know some of you are having a hard time with that kind of image. <laughs> I just didn't want the control. So before I even turned 20, I found myself 9,000 miles away from home. I couldn't go further than Australia. <laughs> and I got there and I said, man, nobody knows me here. No curfews, no family devotions. And nobody here is going to hold me accountable. Now I can live the wild life. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Not so. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because what kept me from sin is the Word of God that was driven into my heart and into my mind at a very early age. Those family devotions that I resented, those words rang in my ears. When the Word of God is obeyed at an early age, it has a controlling effect. It has a cleansing effect, but also has a controlling effect. Young Daniel was captured out of Israel and taken into slavery, into Babylon. He was young, and he's away from home. He's away from parental control. He was away from religious environment into pagan Babylon. And he could have had all the fun he wanted. And knowing human being and human nature the way I do, I can't prove it to you from the Scripture, but I'm convinced in my own heart that somebody came to him and said, Danny boy... <laughs> Do in Rome as Romans do. Danny boy, what has got to do the food and drink? What has this got to do with God? <laughs> and Daniel said, no, you don't understand. Food and drink might not be the problem, but it's the first step before I fall into idolatry of Babylon. And the Bible said Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. And he said, no. And God honored him. The virtue of the Word of God is that it will cleanse you. The virtue of the Word of God is that it will control you. The virtue of the Word of God is that it will correct you. Situational ethics says, and espoused by so many people in the church, situational ethics said, act depending on the circumstances surrounding the situation. But God's ethic said, act right even when nobody is seeing you. Even when nobody is watching you. When Joseph was sold into slavery in the land of Egypt, the Bible said, do you know what the Bible said to Joseph? Do you know what the Bible said to him? No, you don't because the Bible was not written then. I'm just trying to test you. <laughs> I want to make sure you're listening. There was no Bible. There was no Bible. There was no Word of God. You say, wait a minute, how in the world did he know this? Daddy Jacob, grandfather Isaac, and even great-grandfather Abraham, who was still alive when Joseph was born, taught him all about God. They taught him all about God. Parents, grandparents, let me tell you something. Don't ever minimize the impact you have on your children. The Bible was not written, but Joseph hid the Word of God as he heard it from his parents and grandparents in his heart. So when Mrs. Potiphar said to him, 
Jose, <laughs> come over here. <laughs> no one's here. No one's watching. Nobody will know. I'll never tell. I will only keep it as a secret between you and me. You know what Joseph said? Hang it on your nose, Mrs. Potiphar. <laughs> now, that's a rough translation, but really that's what he meant. He said, God sees. And that all that matters, God sees. And that all that matters. And he ran as he said no. The Word of God cleanses. The Word of God controls. The Word of God corrects. Because the Word of God is virtuous. But secondly, there is incalculable value to the Word of God. Look at verses 13, 14, 15, 16 of Psalm 119. You know, we talk a great deal about values these days. We talk about traditional family values, and we talk about this value and this, that value and the values and values, and every company has values and organizations have values. And we talk a lot about values, but you know what? I'm convinced that in, my, in our generation, we know the price of everything and the value of very little. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, I want to give you three exercises. Write them down. There are three exercises that will help you to live your life valuing the Word of God. Treasuring the Word of God in your heart, that's good, but it's not good enough. Somebody say, wait a minute, what is he to, where is he going with this? Treasuring the Word of God in my heart is not good enough? Yep, that's right. You heard me right. Why? Because you have to apply the Word of God in every area of your life. Reading it is not enough. Meditating on it is not enough. You have to apply it in your heart. Let me give you an illustration. You have the best headache medicine in your medicine cabinet. It's not going to help your headache. You have to get up and go to the medicine cabinet and take the medicine. Having money in your bank account will not be of value to you if you do not know how to make the withdrawal in the times of need. Some people know the Word of God, but they don't know how to apply the Word of God to every decision in life. There are even some people who memorize the Word of God, but they live their lives contrary to the Word of God. Why? They do not know how to apply the Word of God in every situation. I don't care what it is in your life. And here are the three exercises that the psalmist wants us to have so that we may value the Word of God. First of all, in verse 13, he said, speak it. Speak it. Secondly, in verse 14 and 15, he said, savor it. And then in verse 16, he said, substantiate it. The psalmist said, with my lips, I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. Reading the Word of God, great. Meditating upon the Word of God, wonderful. Spending time studying the Word of God is a must. But if it is not really going to help you, then you wasted your time. You must apply it. How do you do that? By verbalizing it. 
Anybody who's taught or teaches the Bible or preaches will tell you that they're the ones who benefit more than the listeners. And I know this is the case here. Don't give me that. I know. I benefit more than you do because you listen to me sometimes with your eyes but not with your ears. So I learn more, and I really should pay the church and not pay me (laughs) for allowing me and giving me the privilege of learning the Word of God. You say, wait a minute, preacher, are you going to tell me that every one of us should be a teacher of the Word of God? Everybody should teach? Yes. That's exactly right. I used to have a friend in school. He would come every morning. He would come in. Hey, let me tell you what God showed me from His Word today. Let me share with you what God, what insight God gave me from His Word today. And man, I knew he was growing in the Word of God, but I didn't understand why. The reason he was growing is because he was verbalizing it. And the psalmist said, speaking it. Speaking it. That's the first exercise. There's no use hearing a sermon after sermon after sermon, Bible class after Bible class after Bible class, without ever verbalizing the Word of God to somebody else. That's the way to grow in the Word of God. The second exercise is savoring the Word of God. Look at verse 14. He said, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Now, I want you to just go with me for a minute into fantasy land, okay? I mean, I really do. I just want to take you to fantasy land just for a bit, and I'll bring you back. I promise. I'll bring you back to reality. Suppose you wake up tomorrow morning, and the phone rings, and they tell you that you have a great uncle you never heard of who have left you a fortune. How would you react? Be honest with me now. Okay, don't give me spiritual stuff. I mean, you're going to be so excited, right? You will be overwhelmed. You'll be jumping up and down. You'll be calling your best friends. I know you won't call the pastor, but at least you'll be calling your best friends. I mean, you'll be celebrating. You would be rejoicing. You think that at least you're feeling to be the most fortunate human being on the face of the earth, right? It's true. And the psalmist said, listen, psalmist said, this is how I feel about the Word of God. He is saying, it is like inheriting a fortune every single day. He said, I'm so joyful about the Word of God that I cannot wait to tell somebody about the impact it had on my life. You see, the value of the Word of God is found when you speak it. The value of the Word of God is found when you savor it. But thirdly, verse 16 says, the value of the Word of God is found when you substantiate it. Look at verse 16. He said, I shall delight in your statues. I shall not forget your word. In another psalm, he said, I made a song out of your statues. See, that some people have the doctrine right and theologically correct, but they've lost their song because they have not made the Word of God to be their song, to be the life vision, to be the life mission. The Word of God has to be demonstrated in my life and in yours. The Word of God has to be proven in your life and mine. Let me explain that. David, as a young man, was on the run. The king of the nation, no less, was after him. Can you imagine? The king of the nation with his army were after a young man with a small motley crew. 
And here he is running from town to town. And the king is after him. From cave to cave. And the king is after him. Everywhere he goes, they say, has David been here? He's been chased by the king of Israel. One day, one of David's lieutenants came to him and said, David, your troubles are over. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I guarantee you, I'll be the first one to tell you, every one of us will say, if I show you a way to make all your troubles go away, you'll be right up front here. I would. It's a natural thing. And when somebody comes and said, I'm going to show you a way to have all your problems be over, all your troubles are over, you will have no more suffering. That's what this lieutenant came to David and he said, David, I want you to now relax because we got an opportunity for all of your suffering to be over. King Saul and his men are in a cave, asleep. They were in so deep asleep that they're snoring, and we heard the snore a mile away. They will not wake up. All we need to do is just go bang, 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 and all of our problems be over. What a golden opportunity to get rid of your enemy once and for all. What a golden opportunity to become the king right away. What a golden opportunity for David to save himself a great deal of headache and a great deal of trouble and a great deal of running around and suffering. Oh, you see, David did not only treasure the Word of God in his heart, but he demonstrated the Word of God in his life. See, David knew that shortcuts are not worth it. David knew that shortcuts are full of pain and grief. David knew that shortcuts are short-lived. And he said, I cannot do that. As much as it is beneficial and helpful to me, I cannot do that. Because the Word of God said, harm not God's anointed. And as long as God wanted Saul to be on the throne, he's going to stay on the throne. God is the one who's going to end it. I am not going to. See, David knew that he had to demonstrate the Word of God in his life, in his action. David also knew that he had to substantiate the Word of God, treasure it in his heart, and live it out. Precious Father, It is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we come to you as men and women who get pulled by the world, the flesh, and the devil every single day. And yet we know intellectually and we know by training that only treasuring the word, your word in our hearts and living it out will keep us from harm will keep us from tragedy and will keep us from sin. And so, Father, we pray this very hour that you'll touch our hearts, not just we be moved by emotions and by words that are spoken, but we translate it into life-changing decisions to treasure your word in our hearts and then live it in everyday life. For we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.